welcome to episode 38 of the Empowering Ability Podcast. Welcome to the Empowering Ability Podcast, where we get you and your loved ones impacted by disability the information needed to live a full and meaningful life. Now here's your host, Eric Gall. Hey folks, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining today. Excited to bring you this interesting episode with Dr. Anik Jansen. And Dr. Anik Jansen's from New Zealand uh, and really has some global experience throughout her career. Uh, she's a mother to three children, as she'll tell you in the podcast, and her youngest son uh, has a disability. And she's also a clinical psychologist, so she understands both the family and professional uh, sides very well from her own personal experience. And Dr. Anik Jansen has taken the time to really deeply think and investigate and test and prototype, rethinking the experience that young families that have a son or a daughter with developmental uh, disability really go through and what those first experiences look like, first contact with professionals, and really working towards giving families agency and empowering families. So I'm really excited to bring you uh, this conversation with Dr. Anik Jansen and the innovative approach that she has designed along with some others that she collaborates with and to share these ideas with you. And maybe there's an opportunity for you to reach out and to connect with Anik to talk about these ideas and and if they might make sense for you and your family or uh, for you as a service provider and to maybe bring those to your area of the world. And I know Anik would love that. So uh, excited to bring you this conversation with Anik. Here she is. Hi, Dr. Anik Jansen. Welcome to the Empowering Ability Podcast. Hi from Down Under. (laughs) Excited to have you on the uh, show today, uh, Anik. And Maybe we could just start off by giving you the opportunity to tell uh, the listeners a little bit about who you are and your story. Thank you for this opportunity. I'm equally excited. So, um, well, uh, the first thing that people notice about me is my funny accent. So even though I live in New Zealand now, I was born in France and travel a little bit uh, around the world for my study when I uh, trained as a clinical psychologist. So I guess I won't uh, lose that accent ever. So I have to disclose that right up front. <laughs> um, so um, in terms of my personal journey, I am uh, married to my uh, sweetheart, almost the uh, youngest from our. Uh, we met when we were 19, and um, we've together created a, a great life with our three children. So I have uh, two boys and a daughter. And uh, Melissa, my daughter, who was interviewed on your podcast, um, I guess as a sibling um, and a psychologist um, in her, with her career at the moment. And um, so I have, um, with the three children, uh, you know, each child brings the, their own amazing world and their joys and their, the specific lessons that they uh, teach us um, with when you have children who are sort of mainstream, you maybe think less about these things. When our third child and son uh, came uh, into our family, and when we re- uh, were told that he is on the spectrum, um, life changed quite a bit. And um, so we uh, at first um, followed advice given by professionals until 
there was a turning point. I actually looking forward to being to the podcast today. I was thinking, what was a turning point for us with uh, bringing, um, so his name is Yaniv, bringing Yaniv up. And the turning point was when one day um, I was quite disheartened by the attempts of professionals and teachers to try and make him fit into the mainstream or the quote-unquote normal uh, boxes and paths. And I realized that he had different uh, approaches, different point of view, and that there was a lot actually that he was teaching me that I didn't know before. But I decided, well, we're going to skip the normal stage. We're going directly for the um, unusual genius state. Um, And, uh, you know, life proved me wrong, whether it was a self-fulfilling prophecy or what, I don't know. But when he was 16, uh, we realized that he was an amazing artist. And that came as a total shock to us because he never did any art at home, even though we tried to give him uh, colors, pencils, etc. No one was not interested. But in high school, uh, he was interested uh, and worked really hard to prove himself. And part of that was because he, he needed less of a teacher aid in in the art class than, than he did with other things because the other the more academic subjects were more uh, difficult for him and when when things became more abstract he be, he really became disruptive so we were heading towards uh, quite a negative uh, academic path and academic uh, experience for him so that when he was showing uh, his actions that he was a good artist. We didn't know at the time that it was going to develop into an international career, but at least it was something to hold on and say, well, let's just go with his strength. And from that moment on, uh, with something I call the eye of the needle, when I was trying to explain to teachers and professionals, I said, if art is what interests him, everything that we want to do for school is going to go through art. So we weren't going to teach him word processing program called, you know, so-and-so, and then with it, you can write documents, we're going to say, oh, an artist needs to have uh, something called a, a bio a curriculum vitae. We use those to, to teach. And the way that you write it is by pushing on this button on the computer and start writing. Mm. So everything was through his interest and his motivation to succeed. And, you know, we were proving right today. He's an international artist, very proud to say. And even though we got a lot of help from the disability sector, so um, there's a great initiative in New Zealand called the Enabling Good Lives. And through it, we receive uh, individualized funding and help with in a coordinator that thinks together with us how to best use this funding to help him succeed in what he wants to do. He's got a plan. So, you know, shout out to Enabling Good Lives in New Zealand because it's a great initiative. And um, we um, have set him, I feel, on on a great path. And, you know, the future will tell. His website is yanivjanson.com, Y-A-N-I-V-J-A-N-S-O-N.com. And he's a great role model. And we're told that he's inspiring to other people. So we've just come back from a conference in Montenegro where him and I presented together with uh, two professionals about 
his journey and his story. And it was very um, emotional moment. And people were very, very um, interested in the crowd because it's one thing to say, you know, this is what we need to do as a policy. This is what we need to do as training. But, you know, the best thing is to see proof on the ground that these ideas and hypotheses and strategies work. Mm-hmm. So that's me as a, as, a, as a mom and as a professional, as a clinical psychologist. To begin with, I followed, you know, more or less the traditional pathway, which I'll talk to in a moment, um, with, oh, uh, you know, often a lack of satisfaction as to the outcomes we were getting. And um, found, luckily, I found a way to um, expand onto my professional knowledge into um, the area that we're going to discuss just now. Uh, Four years ago, I met Silvana Mamik, who is the CEO of an organization in uh, Sydney in in New South Wales called Plumtree. That's a service provider to the early intervention uh, sector, the disability um, sector. And this organization literally sees hundreds, I think it's like six, seven hundred a year of families with young children who have a disability or a delay, a developmental delay. And we were absolutely lucky and thrilled to be able to try out some new ideas. Basically, what we said, both Silvana and I have a, ch- a young adult uh, in their early 20s with a disability, and both of us were professionals. So we had the benefit of hindsight and of our professional training in thinking if we had to scrap everything we know, redesign everything from the ground up, what would be the best intervention, the best course of action that we could offer families who have a young child with a disability or, you know, serious doubts or diagnosis or, or, or worries or concern that something is not following the, the normative path? What can we offer to them that would make a serious difference? Now, we didn't want a flash in the pan. We didn't want something that would have a a local impact. We went straight for long-term, radical, new experience of the disability sector. Mm -hmm. So we designed the program. Yeah, and I I love that. And it's so you you stopped and you said, well, I don't know if you questioned is is what we have today working and with your professional and personal family experience, taking that and, and... looking at it from a, a blank canvas perspective and saying, okay, we're going to use a, a design thinking process to design the best experience for a young family with a developmental or de- uh, with a, a child with a developmental disability or developmental delay. I love that. I was lucky to have uh, a Tim Brown from IDEO I came to New Zealand, like, I don't know, about 10 years ago. I was really lucky to be the audience at that time and even, you know, was charged with writing a report about the impact of of, of this, um, his presentation. And I was like wrapped because uh, the, the cycle that you go through um, is very, very helpful and, and very different to sort of uh, doing a armchair research about, you know, is what's working, what's not working, how can we, you know, how can we, make things 
more with more impact, with more results. So this is, you know, wasn't an armchair research. Uh, Tim actually described what kind of ethnographic research you do on the ground and how you learn from it and how you include those elements into what he calls rapid prototyping. Mm-hmm. And it's exactly what we did. Um, I've just looked the other day at how many prototypes we've made of, of our resources and they really accumulate. Uh, and it's really great to see, uh, you know, to look back and see, you know, we were thinking one way in the beginning, but then with the amazing input of parents, you know, parents have skin in the game, in the, in the well-being and the outcomes of uh, their children. So uh, that really differentiates. Uh, us from professionals only. So um, it's it's been a, a, an incredible journey, and it's just you know it's just getting better and better. Mm-hmm. So you've redesigned that family, uh, the experience that a family um, would go through when starting to interact with those professionals and, and service providers. So you come up with the program now and next. So maybe we could start with what is now and next. Great. So now next is a learning program for parents that is radically different to any other programs. It's not a parenting program. It's not a support group. It's a program that starts on the premises that we are starting there. Parents are overwhelmed. We recognize this and we want to give them the best opportunity to understand how they can move forward and how they can use their learning to build on success and get better and better results uh, for their children. So that program, uh, we prototyped it. You know, at the beginning, it was like something like 18 individualized session, individual session, one-on-one with parents. But basically, throughout our learning journey, we brought it down to nine group, nine session, eight group session and one individual session and um, so it's a program that creates a new uh, that shifts the mindset of parents to understanding the power of their own agency the uh, the control that they do have over their well-being and the the positive outcome for their children so having shifted this mind this mindset uh, the mindset where they need to bring professionals along with us and that's the journey mm-hmm. and now next yeah i love that and why a learning program well you know it, i am a clinical psychologist but i never actually quite gelled with the fact that people were offered therapy take into account that there are people who, who need mental health help you know for their own uh, you know specific purposes that yes of course but the, the, to, to group the whole field of disability sector in, uh, you know, into, SA, um, into a group of people that need um, the, the, the help of psychologists uh, for, to move forward with their children. No, I think that that's actually not the right uh, way to go because people are overwhelmed. They start from a... Overwhelm, and if you look at it strictly from the lens of psychology, you could say, "Oh, that's grief." And worse, what I've heard is when people were saying, "No, I'm not under grief. Actually, I would like to find solutions," and and then those same professionals come back and say, "Oh, you're in denial." I mean, that is really 
not on. So when people want to, families want to engage in a program that we uh, call a learning program, you say, come learn with us. We are going to work out together strategies and solutions to go forward and to get better results, get the results that you want, that are, that are meaningful to you, and let's learn how to do it. That seems to me a much better framework than the framework of, than a therapeutic framework. Therapeutic framework are kind of, are not um, necessarily focusing on what have I learned? What have I, what can I change? So, you know, there's, I'm not, but then now it's very, very complex. You know, there's literally hundreds types of therapies. So I don't want to make a sweeping generalization. Let's just say that when we talk to people about their learning and how they are getting more information from their peers, because that's, that was a thing that people used to say very clearly. Parents and families absolutely love the interaction with other parents because they share what I call in my jargon, and I'm going to explain what it is, tacit knowledge. So tacit knowledge as opposed to explicit knowledge, which is the knowledge that's out there in books. Tacit knowledge is knowledge that's tried and tested. And it's not necessarily things that I I think about every day, but when I start talking about people about solving issues, then I can bring in what I've learned as a result of my interacting with people, with professionals, with other, uh, with teachers, etc. So parents love, love, love sharing this knowledge. And basically that's one of the things that we said, wow, we recognized as soon as we started trialing uh, the now next sessions on the ground, we realized that people absolutely enjoyed and got so much out of interaction with each other that we all, that we made sure that there was always a few modules, like a few sessions, small you know, face, um, small interaction within each of the now next session, so that we get a chance to talk things out, um, and especially if it was something that we framed as, you know, what are we talking about? We're talking about how do we um, get better results? How do we work on specific goals with our children? And so people could, um, you know, if you learn, if you're on your own and you learn something, you, there's a lot of trial and error involved. But if you're in a group and you hear from each other, you can literally uh, save, uh, you know, a lot of time because you don't have to make other people's errors. You can just start on level three rather than ground level. So it's, as we were piloting the bits of the Now Next program, we realized that there were some core elements that we had to keep for the first version. Mm -hmm. And I really love how you've explained and you've talked to this mindset shift that you help parents with. And you shared that often you're hearing from parents that they feel overwhelmed. And from a clinical psychology perspective, you know, that's looking at, you know, uh, this person is going through grief or, or they, there is something wrong with them or, or something like that. Whereas you've reframed it or you've taken that mindset shift and, okay, well, there's nothing really wrong with the, the, the 
these families. There's there's a, a unique situation that they're in, and what are the tools and and that we can give them, and, and how do we teach them these tools, and, and how do we give them the learning that they need so that they can be successful and, and flourish in their lives. So I love that shift from really, you know, so there's something wrong with them, or you know, which creates uh, more of a, a a victim mindset versus and and having them shift into okay, here's the knowledge and the tools that you need and go cre- let's let's work on creating that life that you really want for your family. Yeah, and and you know, we have a research program that accompanies everything that we do because as far as I'm concerned, everything has to be researched otherwise it's just a good story. Uh, and so we can actually measure people empowerment level and um, the you know we were fortunate enough to be able to um, capture in discussion uh, this is not something that you can actually do in a questionnaire because it's really hard for people to understand how to relate to the question you know how did you feel before and how did you feel after mm-hmm. but when we measured the level of uh, what we call the agency which is the level of control that i feel that i have over my child's future and my child's accomplishment there's a significant difference uh, um, that you know, a difference that is statistically significant between uh, um, their empowerment before and after the group. So the level of agency that they feel um, that they can make a difference for their family. Yeah. And that's, you know, if I have to decide what, what side of the fence I want to be in, I want to be on that side because, you know, you make mistakes all the time. Everybody makes mistakes, not just in the disability sector. So, you know, what happens once you make mistakes? Do you recoil and think, oh, you know, I'm just no good and I'm never going to be good at that, which is very often what, you know, with the traditional approach. Unfortunately, we get often in these situations like this. This is what I've, you know, experienced as a professional, Mm -hmm. where in a learning situation, there are no mistakes. Everything is learning. So that's, I'm just going to quote one of our facilitator, Melo Kelim Karidis, who says, there's no mistakes. It's just information. So, if things don't go don't pan out the way you want, then uh, you know, go back, look at it. You know, understand what you did that was helpful or not helpful, and then change change the course of it. So you just keep on moving always, always towards the vision that you have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great quote. There, it reminds me of a quote from uh, I forget the person that said the quote, but it comes out of the Stanford Design School, and it's failure is the raw material of success. Great. Right? Well, so I like that too. Along the same lines <laughs> as that, and, and that's the design thinking uh, approach as well. So maybe, Anik, we could start to talk about some of the key components of the program that helps to increase agency or helps to empower families that go through the, the learning process. Yeah, so in order to explain better, I'm going to explain a traditional model versus what we do simply because it, it's more helpful to see the, you know, this is a program that already had an, was a finalist in an innovation, um, the New South Wales Disability Sector Innovation and won a, an innovation award an excellence award uh, yeah. prior to that for the ECIA, New South Wales or Early Childhood Intervention. So, yeah, so we're, you know, it is very, very, very innovative and very new. 
But in order to understand, you know, in order to show what's different, then I'm just going to use the before and after parroting, if you don't mind. So yeah, great. starting with number number one, the very first difference is the initial interview. So in a traditional model, you have a professional sitting across a table with a parent or, or the family and saying, please, you know, we're going to engage in this course of uh, therapy or work together. Tell me about your family. Tell me about your child. Now, as a mother, I was always profoundly um, stressed, disturbed by this kind of situation. It didn't matter how much I prepared before. It, it kind of a situation that puts you on the spot also because it's really hard to come up with strength of, you know, of your child and you don't want to but eventually you end up by saying well he can't do this he can't do that and at the end of an initial situation uh, an initial interview you have to think what does it leave parents with and without exception when I ask parents they said well I felt terrible mm -hmm. after that now I'm not going to blame the the sector for that because we haven't, you know, until now, we didn't have perhaps a better way. So people said, well, I have to go through it. And, um, you know, we have to collect information to start. So that's probably why parents never really complained or, you know, answered. but now the research is starting to come up that when people have what is called IFSP, Individual Family Service Plan, um, that these face-to-face uh, -face discussion around the table are actually um, not very good, but sometimes quite detrimental. Mm -hmm. As you describe it, um, it sounds like it focuses on deficits or, or what's wrong rather than capabilities, gifts, the uniqueness of that individual. Well, for, for two reasons. Why? Because really, for a long time, the focus of the sector was on deficiency. So that's, um, you know, the way that people ask questions to start with. But the other reason is kind of difficult to bring up the, the you know, your child's strength in a context like this. So uh, quickly, I'm going to go to what we did so that you understand what I mean by bringing up the, ch the strength of the child. But when Silvana and I thought together, you know, if we had to redesign this the, the parent's experience, wow, the first meeting, that's a big one. So it put special emphasis into it. And we designed a, um, so it's, we, we use the theory of game gamification, which is very, um, in today's world, is very accepted that there's things that you learn a lot more easier, a lot, a lot with um, using your creativity. So in that situation, which we called picked ability, and I'd like to credit Robin Trelaw from um, Plum tree for having come up with this great name. So we use a series of elements, boards, templates, cards, uh, a whole lot of it. It's a complex system that involves a lot of, um, say, pictures that were chosen on the basis of our research. So they were evidence-based uh, in that we chose uh, photos that meant that, that people had used to the individualized funding to help, you know, to assist their children achieve goals. So everything that we showed the family, we explained, look, this is a different way to plan. This is a creative, fun way to plan, um, other than, the, you know, the traditional method. Um, we'd like to engage with you and um, 
into this situation. Some of the people went into kind of a, oh, what is that? <laughs> but basically, we opened the session with this board, the colorful cards, and a bunch of colorful um, little characters, all sorts of little characters. Thomas the Engine, Sesame Street, Mickey Mouse, you know, the things that children play with. And the first question that we ask is, um, choose a character that would represent your child. So they, you know, people say this. And then the facilitator says, uh, tell me why. Why did you choose Mickey Mouse? Well, oh, why did you choose Thomas the Engine? Oh, my child loves Thomas, Thomas the Engine because of this. Wait, wait. So the first question is, brings you straight into the strength um, domain. And then while the person is talking, and, you know, we carry on asking those questions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you wouldn't say, well, I chose Mickey Mouse because Mickey Mouse cannot do this and that, right? You, right. You think about So bringing, so I, I use my, uh, you know, training as a psychologist where uh, with the, the formidable amount of research that's behind what we call um, projective identification on which a lot of the tests are based, uh, you know, uh, pro- personality test. I'm not going to go into it now, but the mechanism being that I show you one stimulus and then it brings up all sorts of things in you that would be very different to the ideas that that other people seeing the same stimulus would see. So basically um, what happens in this situation is that for an hour or so, the person is looking at a whole lot of things and it's it's, this is, I mean, I could, I could talk for three hours just on that. So I'm just going to be trying to be very brief. But what the situation conveys to the person is, A, actually, you know, there's lots of great things that are going to happen for my child in the future. These are the things I would like to happen. So people start compiling uh, what we call a vision board with... Um, amazing choices out there um, or and also you know if you talk about well i would like my child to eat independently you're not focusing on the fact that the child can't eat independently you're just saying oh there's a picture of xyz children eating at a table together that's what i'd like to be you know that's where i'd like my child to be in a year or two right so this initial interview is the um the place where people put out not just a long-term vision, but also a short, short-term goals. Now, I will get back into that point later on, but I also want to tell you that we've experimented with both professionals um, doing the, in this pictability session and parents doing this uh, pictability session as facilitators. And we, we find a lot of very positive outcomes of having two parents sitting in a situation uh, in pictability session and doing it together, one facilitating the other. It's so, for some people, it's very important that the person that sits in front of them, especially if that's the one of the initial contact, and perhaps not the very first, but the very first where you go into a you know, course of, of change. And that person in front of you knows so much of what you're feeling because they've been there. Mm. They don't, you don't need to share that much. You can just get straight in the thing and then also they reinforce each other. So people have said, you know, that's um, very important starting point. 
Right. But similar, but at the same time, we have a lot of professionals who are very curious about it. And so now we're starting to train professionals to understand what happens there so that, you know, that can be become part of what a comp- an organization would do uh, that would genuinely want to create change with families. Right. It's that tacit knowledge that you were speaking to earlier. Yeah. 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 So that's a, number one. So that's the first our first point. Of difference is where we start. Mm-hmm. The other reason why um, the pictability session is different is that having chosen my own goals uh, puts me in a different position when I then start the, the course of you know the program because these are my goals, my child's goals. I'm committed to them because I've chosen them. Now, if you backtrack a little bit and you look at the situation of the IFSP, the Individual Family Service Plan. By law, um, because governments are, you know, globally, if you think about how much money goes into the disability sector, it's billions of dollars. And they all hinge on an inverted pyramid, which is setting goals. The, the beginning of every plan, the beginning of every reason for a government or a service to put money into a course of action is the goals mm-hmm. of the family. And so the governments and legislators recognize that the importance of those goals. So they, in many countries, they actually put legal um, framework around it so that, and they made professionals responsible legally for making sure that the voice of the parents comes through this process, that those goals are the parents' goals. But as we said before, this might not be the best situation might not be the situation where people are most relaxed. So the situation that you come through, which is starting to be researched now, but which I hear informally all the time, is organizations telling me, well, at this individual meeting, it was really hard for families to come up with goals or even goals that excited them or, you know, think about the fact that they look at the deficiencies. So <laughs> it's kind of hard. And so what happens is that a professional, after a session like this, a professional goes away and writes a report. The report has to fulfill certain legal specifications, etc. So the the report starts is, is written in a professional jargon, professional language. So even if, you know, when parents talked about two or three goals that they wanted to achieve, those goals become written up in a language. It takes about two, three weeks for the parents to get the report back. By the time they get the report back in the mail or email, it doesn't sound like anything they remember from that meeting. So two things. A, you know, are we putting all these resources and all this money in, you know, in the places where we absolutely safe that these are authentic goals that families have? And the second thing is, how do we, how do we change this? So when, uh, when we do pictability, people actually write their goals in the, in the, in the handwriting. Because they chose, they choose the photos and become really excited, and you know they're not going to forget about that. But also, we're committed to give them instant, an instant little report. So that's not yet the report that you have to write for the government. But we we have an iPad, and which you know we use technology throughout the now and next uh, sessions, and with the iPad we we take videos, photos. It's it, we've really tested this to the nth result and get a really, really good 
um, multimedia account of what happened during this session. And so people have, at, at the, the moment the session is finished, we literally push a button and they get this multimedia. You know, it's a film, it's a video, it's a, which A, reminds them, you know, is there to constantly remind them of, you know, the positive mind, mind frame of mind they were in, or even, you know, the, the, the goals that they chose, that they hand wrote, etc. But also don't forget that many times these people go through these interviews and they wanted a partner or a family member to be with them, but they couldn't because they were working or they were too far away. Now, this multimedia report, it get, they can share right away, you know. Uh, very often, in, in, not with our, uh, you know, in our next, we've made a determined effort to involve fathers or partners um, in the process, meaning that we have sessions at all times of days and evening and weekends, etc. And we get excellent results. We get about 23% fathers slash partners to, to sessions up to 50%, depending on what the session is about. But, you know, 50%, I'm really, really sure proud of it. And there's nowhere this time level of engagement in the sector. But yeah. think about, you know, uh, think about, the, you know, the, it's been recognized, you know, some people say like, you know, it's, Parent, you know, sometimes a father is involved. I think the statistics are like five to seven percent. You know? Right, right. So yeah, what happens is that you have a, yeah, because uh, you know the, they need to be at work. They need to. And I'm often the mothers have stopped working in order to care for a child with a disability. So right. the mother is now going to these important sessions, and if you know, and, and and you know, you get home and you know your husband asks you, you know, how was the session? And you, it's really hard to remember. And so, yeah, and here's the session. Here's the photos. Here's the goals we talked about. So, you know, mm -hmm. you've already got a different level of engagement. Yeah. You bring up a really important point, Anique, around goals. And um, just reflecting on my experience as a coach and helping people to, to set their own goals, people, and, and this goes back to the point of agency and, and helping people mm -hmm. increase their own agency or empowerment. And from my experience, people are a lot more likely to go uh, forward and take action on that goal if they came up with it themselves versus mm -hmm. me or someone else telling them what they should totally. do, right? And I, I'm sure that our listeners can reflect on, well, if somebody tells me what to do, how likely am I going to go do it? Or versus, you know, if I come up with something myself and it's something I want to go do, how likely am I to go do that, right? And my bet is, is that people are more likely to do what they want to do versus what they're told to do. Yeah. So there's two things here that I want to bring back regarding the theory that's backing us up. The first thing is that um, we unfortunately lost a really great positive psychologist uh, called Shane Lopez, and he did research with uh, um, another researcher called uh, Snyder, and they th their model was goal plus pathways plus agency equals hope so that follows uh, you know it backs up what you're saying because having a, a, di a specific direction having pathways or strategies to achieve that the results and agency which is the belief in myself that i can do it that brings you know that is a tremendous source of hope for people mm. and Families who have a child with a disability are in it for the long run. It's it's a, it's uh, not a sprint. It's a marathon. We need our 
we need the our hope and the energy element that comes with it. Um, so that's number one. The ne- second thing in in terms of backup, uh, the the um, theoretical backup is that um, Professor Martin Seligman, who spent the first forty years of his career in the uh, what I call the traditional model, because he uh, developed the model for learned helplessness, which is really, you know, to do with how do we get into situations where we, you know, can't come out of, which has implications over depression, etc. And said that that part, that that mostly the the psychology development was dealing with. How do we get from being, you know, minus three to zero, maybe, or minus one in terms of functioning? When he became in the early 2000s the head of the Psych- American Psychological Association, a hugely powerful body, a professional body for psychologists, he launched positive psychology. Having come from that background and said, look, we just can't carry on looking, you know, focusing all the time on the deficiency and the pathology. Yes, of course, there's a place for it, but that's not all what we're about. That's not what life is about. Life is about building success, thinking about the future, making plans. So positive psychology became, um, you know, was launched in the early 2000s, backed up by an enormous amount of empirical data. And lately, um, Martin Seligman came up with uh, the theory about prospection, which is looking into the future and through this, building a better future for ourselves and, and what are the elements that make this powerful. And we absolutely looked at the prospection theory when we looked at how people plan, formulate goals, and implement action to um, achieve their goals. So, you know, we we feel that we're backed up by an enormous amount of um, data and empirical results. And yet, to the best of my ability, of my knowledge, no one oof, in that I know of in the field of disability is using the positive psychology and well-being um, that comes with it, the, you know, search for well-being that comes with it. So that brings us to my second point, which is what's different to, uh, you know, FNAI next to uh, the other, you know, similar-ish intervention is that we have made a deliberate choice to base our uh, intervention on very robust positive psychology theory. So that's our second differentiating point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I think we could probably do a whole podcast on positive psychology and how that's integrated <laughs> within uh, the now and next yeah. program. And maybe we will do that. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So the third one is you, something you just mentioned now, and that's working on goals. So working on goals uh, is, as I said before, it's like obviously the tenets of you know, the disability sector, this is why they invest money. People are going to uh, work on goals and people are going to uh, get results and that's worth investing in it. And so 
when we uh, define, when parents, as you said, define, frame, formulate, work on in achieving their goals, they become more and more empowered. We've noticed also with our um, approach that there's a few um, a few traps to avoid. So something came up very strongly to us, and we move we we named it moving the goalpost, and. I must confess, I recognize myself in it also. So that goes like this. I set a goal, let's say, you know, let's choose a simple one, but, you know, we've done that time and time again. Let's say my goal was for my child to eat independently. So if the long-term goal is independence, the short-term goal would be uh, my child to eat at the table independently. And the even shorter goal would be, well, where do we start from? At the moment, uh, you know, I recognize that for the sake of bringing all the other children to school in time, etc., I do spoon feed my child, but he really, he should, you know, he could feed himself, but, you know, for a host of, so we decide that we're going to uh, get him to uh, eat by himself, and the first short-term goal is five spoonfuls, say. And then, a little bit of, you know, we, we have a strategy and then we find out a little bit down the line that the parents said, yes, he's starting to eat by himself, but. And so, we, we you know, we're taken aback. We listen to the but, but it's not there yet, but it's not enough, but mm-hmm. messy, but, etc. So, and then we just say, hold on a minute. If you had chosen that one goal, you don't back out now because, you know, when do you get to actually stop, celebrate? And say, yep, we've done that bit. Now let's do the next bit. So if people keep moving the goalposts, that's not going to come. So that is a contributor to people uh, in the traditional uh, methodology to people to give up, uh, you know, and become even more convinced that other people have the answers, not me, because I failed. But that's not accurate. Mm-hmm. So we um, we don't let people going down this trap, this uh, track, and we actually. Uh, recognize this possibility and we talk about it and then we you know say to say to people see if you can catch your, yourself or others going into that trap because that is a, a a known one so you know we're just joking you know playfully but we we, we go into the but in the the second part that I, uh, about uh, what I wanted to say about working on goals is that we have uh, devised very Powerful templates. Once again, I'd like to credit Robin Trelaw, who invented a, uh, who set out a method that which she called the five windows approach, which we adopted for the now next um, uh, sessions. And in the, you know, in when you look at what I need to do to achieve goals, there's a whole lot of things that I put down on paper and I review afterwards. And one of these windows is people or funding that can help achieve the goal and that is the the place where uh, um, we put sometimes teachers professionals you know I can go and consult with a professional and say how do I do this best but ultimately the onus is on me as a as a parent to get the results and to get you know things done so, you know I'm 24 7 with my child so that whole thing also brought about a whole rethink about what is the nature of parent-professional relationships, and that for years, it's the professionals who have been charged with the responsibility 
to establish a good working relationship, a partnership with families. When you think about it, it's an obvious, right, Eric? If I'm a, an occupation therapist or a psychologist or a social worker, you know, of course I should establish the rapport that will bring about the best collaboration with parents. But for all the reasons that I mentioned before that are tied to the conventional approach, the deficiency, the, 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 the difference between an expert and a non-expert, for all these reasons, actually, this, these professionals were not able, I haven't, you know, there's few and far between pockets of, ex, you know, of, of excellence where you see that professionals have established a, a slightly better rapport with families. So yes, of course, so we were really lucky that we were working with an organization in New South Wales, Plumtree, because those professionals were genuinely um, wanting to see how to move forward to make those professionals' um, partnership work better. But when I talk to uh, all around the world to professionals who, uh, and I ask them, what you know, how would you gauge, how do you rate your your partnership with families? Even when I get to places, well, there's a, a, le a level of denial. There's you know, people say, oh. So, works great and everything but you know unfortunately when you scratch below the surface and you know you need to ask the parents also that it doesn't always match up but there is those people who are genuinely wanting to have these partnerships but this happened to me you know recently I went to an organization and they said to me you know we really really want to have this professional uh, partnership uh, professional parent partnership but at the end of the day parents are expecting us to do most of the work that will create the change. You know, some parents even use the word, quote, unquote, fix my child. And so when I said, well, what do you mean? So they said, well, people say, yes, I am responsible for my child's change. But, that, you know, because you're the expert, you're responsible 80%. I'm responsible 20%. And this, literally, this organization was telling me, um, that this is 80, 20, you know, the famous 80, 20%, but they couldn't get away from it. And um, that's because, you know, partly because you know, as a society, we've put those professionals high up on a pedestal and we've given them all this lovely knowledge and all this um, you know, power, if you want. And some of them are very unwilling to relinquish power. And some of them who want to are still stuck in the model because the parents are stuck in the model. So the way that we looked at this, when we, you know, our parents, as I said to you, parents very quickly said, uh, oh, this is an eight-week program, but we not, don't want it to stop. No way. So basically that created a, 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 a pipeline for people to say, let's, um, let's have our, you know, let's create a peer network. All the people who have been through now and next, they now speak the, the same language. We can carry on supporting each other. And because, uh, you know, we don't have to ask for permission, uh, we can just, uh, you know, support each other as, as much as we want. So there we are, you know, where they engage. So they, <laughs> parents created their first family-led um, conference in last April. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, we had almost 60 families and we were just limited by the 
the um, amount of people, the children that we could take in childcare. So for next year, we're already uh, looking at much great bigger facilities, but there was an amazing vibe. Um, we can put a, a, a link to that movie, I've got a little clip um, uh, to, uh, for your audience to see the, okay. you know, the reactions of the parents. But one of the things that came out there is a parent professional relationship statement. So one of the amazing um, benefits of engaging with parents in this way is that parents bring with them the talents, the expertise that they have outside of, you know, the, the being a parent with the, with the child. So, you know, there's some of them bankers, financial economists, lawyers, plumbers, uh, the whole range of people. And one, uh, you know, so one example out of many examples is that Dr. Melanie Hayworth, who is a mom, said, well, you know, I could organize a Q&A session with a panel with, uh, you know, talking about parent professional relationships. And then during the conference, uh, I will summarize everything that's said on the panel so that we can agree on the statement at the end. And that's what she did, and we'll put a link for that also yeah, uh, for your audience. Yeah. That statement, that parent professional relationship statement, um, was launched by um, the Simon Duffy's uh, Center for Welfare Reform in the UK. So that he offered us a global launch for it, which was an amazing uh, opportunity. And this came about from the third point that I told you about that uh, is um, the differentiating factor with now, next, and the others, which is how we work on goals and what is the place of every element in the situation. Yes, there is a definite place for working with professionals. You know, professionals need not feel any threat or anything. We, we haven't become... OTs overnight, uh, occupational therapists or psychologists overnight, we still very, very much need to work with the expert knowledge, but on a different level. We mm -hmm. need to rejiggle this balance of power. We need to work. We need. To, we need to work uh, eye to eye. And the the last bit of the parent professional statement, uh, I'm going to read out to you because instead of paraphrasing it, it have a responsibility to. Be the most powerful agents for change for our children. Believe in our own agency as the experts in our children and embrace our experiences and wisdom as valued and valuable. Share our expertise with our professional partners to achieve the best outcomes for our children. Be confident leaders of, in professional partnerships because of the unique insight that we offer. Engage in self-education and self-knowledge so that we can continue to be active and inform leaders in our partnerships and share our knowledge and experiences with other parents so that we can build a strong network of educated and empowered parent leaders who have confidence in their own self-worth and competency. So I could not say it any better in so few words that this is a statement from parents to say, and this was the missing piece throughout ages, why professionals could not, with the best of intention, actually create a strong partnership with families is because families needed to come. Families needed to step in from that mindset. Mm -hmm. And this is also the whole basis for the Now and Next program, forming um, and training. Part of our funding goes to training other 
peer parents. So they come to the to the uh, sessions, and some of them stand out as wanting to contribute back and give back the same amazing amount of learning that they received. And so we have a process, in, you know, by which we decide, we, we screen out, you know, what, you know, the best possible people, and we train them. So we've already trained more than 10 peer, uh, peer facilitators for now and next, for Pictability. And we really are looking forward to expand this model. And, you know, I've just come back from a conference at uh, the European Union, uh, EASPD, European Association for Service Providers to the disability sector, there's an enormous appetite for this kind of uh, new novel training, both in, you know, that the pictability stuff and also the now and next, how, what do we provide for parents that's actually going to place them on a different track? And the one thing that is very important here is that it's not, yeah, it's not just that it's really great for parents and that's the best way to get outcome. But it's also that, and that brings me to the next point uh, of difference, is that we, we need this mechanism to actually uh, be sustainable and scalable. So we were, we planned, now next, we planned it specifically to be scalable. So I've just said we, we're training more and more peer facilitators so they can branch out and go and training people in Finland or in France or in Canada, why not? Mm -hmm. um, so scalable from that perspective, because every time they're going to go to carry out some now and next programs, they're going to then train local people and then start the whole wheel going there but also sustainability. So it is, even though uh, we created the model of expert and novice, and we, we gave all these powers to experts, and we sort of led, you know, it sort of led parents to think, well, if people are more expert than me, then they're responsible, 80% for the progress of our child. It is not sustainable. There's no government that will pay ongoingly for occupational therapy or psychology or any kind of intervention. It is not sustainable. And it's happening now all around the world that people are shrinking the, um, the, the level of funding into the disability se sector because of that. But what, what we're saying is, hey, you know, you've got expertise there. You've got, you know, the, the parents are a formidable um, source of expertise and energy. You just have to get on the right track. And we believe that we, with Now and Next, we created that right track, that we created a system, a mechanism that builds on people's um, be initial belief capability that brings uh, people from a situation now, today, into their next situation, which is the one that they're hoping for, the one that they're planning for, the one that they aspire to. And because this program is aspirational, we just find more and more goodwill and more and more interest in this, in this system, in this mechanism. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's great to be able to share on the podcast. Yeah, I, um, I, love, I love the approach that you've taken towards the whole thing using a design thinking approach rapid prototyping 
involving the feedback from from families and having families deeply ingrained within the program that it's a learning program that you're empowering people giving them agency using positive psychology uh, that it's scalable i love all of it so Anik, if listeners, whether they're families or they're service providers, want to get in touch with you to either learn more or to learn about how they could bring the Now and Next program to their area of the world, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you and learn more? Well, my email will probably be in your notes. It's uh, Anik, A-N-N-I-C-K, at E-G-L dot ac dot nz um, that is probably uh, that website egl.ac.nz is probably the easiest one to save verbally uh, that will lead to all the other websites so we have a blog uh, for the now and now and next alumni network that really retraces our you know the the steps that we've put out and uh, there is uh, plumtree.org org.au, which is the organization headed by Sylvana Mamik that has incubated uh, this, uh, the Now and Next alumni network to, you know, to give it a, a roof and give it uh, energy and give it, um, you know, the support that people need to have a place to meet and a place to think together so that to set it on its own course at some time, at some point. The Now and Next um, program and the pictability um, um, set or, uh, or uh, training um, programs that we want to offer to people who want to make a difference uh, in their, with the organizations through um, building the capability of families. And um, I guess that's probably the easiest, you know, with, with yeah. your notes, uh, we'll put in some more links. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, uh, Anik, and sharing your great work and excited to continue the conversation. I think that there's a lot more that we could talk about today, um, <laughs> but uh, we'll save that for another episode. So thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, I'd love people to contact me with any kind of, uh, you know, thoughts, feedback or post on your website and carry on the discussion. It's a really good discussion. Excellent. Thanks so much, Anik. Cheers. A big, big thank you to Anik Jansen for joining me on the podcast today and sharing the work that she's so passionate about and sharing the Now and Next program. And kudos to Anik and, and her collaborators on uh, the outcomes that are generating for families. And I love the approach that they've taken to create a learning program, integrating research, positive psychology, and really focusing on giving agency and empowering families. And uh, I think it's brilliant. And uh, I really encourage you, if this is, if you were even somewhat interested in what Anik was talking about, to reach out to her to to learn more and to see what opportunities there might be to collaborate with Anik and to and to spread spread this work or to get involved in the now and next project. Uh, 
as Anik mentioned, it's scalable and, and that's her intention to, to spread it across the globe. So if that's something you're interested in, in getting involved with, please reach out and her contact information is on the blog. Uh, I also wanted to send a big heartfelt thank you to, uh, to Anik for really helping to spread the podcast uh, across New Zealand uh, and also uh, Australia. And I know that uh, Adele uh, out there, you know who you are when you listen to this podcast. Uh, thanks so much uh, to you for introducing me to Anik and, uh, and her family and for also helping to spread the podcast uh, across New Zealand and Australia as well. So thank you so much. Next week on the podcast, we have another really exciting guest, uh, Don Mayer. And Don is one of the, or is the leading, I guess, professional or expert uh, when it comes to siblings of people uh, that have a developmental disability or a disability. So uh, Don is based on the West Coast in the United States, and he's been doing this uh, work with siblings specifically uh, since the mid-1980s. So he's uh, got a lot of wisdom when it comes to, to this area and experience with with siblings and really deeply understands them. Uh, he's the creator of Sib Shops, which have uh, really uh, spread across the globe, uh, focused on young siblings. And I have a great conversation with Don. So this is a continuation of the mini-series on siblings. Uh, so it's episode two. Uh, so we'll be continuing that, working up to around six episodes. So excited to bring you the conversation with Don next week. And thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. Uh, if you like this episode and you think you know someone that would benefit, please share it with them. Uh, be a part of the change to think differently about disability. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Visit us at empoweringability.org for more podcasts and resources to help you and your loved ones impacted by disability build a full and meaningful life.